Welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beit Midrash. I'm Rabbi Avi Killip. Where does human agency end and the miraculous begin? In this series, based on Hadar's Hanukkah companion from 5782, titled, I Know Nothing But Miracles, different teachers explore the evolving relationship between humanity and miracles from different angles. This one features me, Rabbi Avi Killip. Let's listen. Have you ever asked for a miracle? That might mean to you, have you ever asked God for a miracle? But maybe there's some other answer or some other version of that. Can you think of a time in your life when you asked for a miracle? And then I'm curious if you can settle on an answer in your mind, if you can ask yourself the follow-up question of, did you get it? Did you get the miracle that you were asking for? And then maybe a follow-up, follow-up question, which is, did you expect to get it? Um, So we're going to read a short passage. It's going to have two stories in quick succession, two very short stories, as the Talmud likes to teach, very short stories um, about uh, rabbis who rely on a miracle. They, They not only ask for a miracle, they sort of assume that a miracle will be granted. Um, and the stories are a little bit different. So, so I want us to listen for the differences of the story. Um, okay, so here's our story. It's from Bavli Ta'anit. Ta'anit is a masachet of the Talmud um, with a lot of amazing stories. They tend to be stories about, um, uh, the, the word Ta'anit is fast, different stories about fasting, but there's also just lots of juicy stories. And if you're ever looking in the Talmud and you're you're in search of stories, Tanit is a great tractate for you to check out. Um, okay, so here's where the story starts. There was a dilapidated wall in Nahardea. Nahardea is a place and there's a wall, right? You can probably picture it. Have you ever walked past a wall that you felt a little uncomfortable about, right? This, so this is a dilapidated wall under which Rav and Shmuel would not pass. It was a little shaky. It was a little sketchy. And they wouldn't go past it, although it stood in place for 13 years. Okay, so there's danger here. But, you know, but how much imminent danger is there, right? This wall has looked like it's about to fall now for 13 years straight. And yet, even though the wall never falls, Rav and Shmuel, who are who are our, our famous Chavruta learning pair here, they are not actually uh, willing to walk directly past or directly under this wall, presumably because they're worried it will fall on them, right? So when they approach this wall, they sort of, they, they walk around it, right? They make a wide loop. One day, their friend Rav Ada Bar Achba came there to visit them in Nehardea. Okay, so this other character comes in and they're, they're walking the walk, their usual path. Um, and Shmuel says to Rav, come master, let us circumvent, right? A phrase you have never said. What this means here is like, let's do what we usually do, right? Let's walk around the wall. You know, we usually go to the side path. And instead of agreeing, Rav says back to, to Shmuel, um, it's not necessary today. We don't have to circumvent. We don't have to go around because Rav Ada Bar Achva is with us whose merit is great, so I'm not afraid. Okay, so the premise here is that this guy, Rav Ada Bar Achva, who interestingly uh, is not necessarily as, as famous or well-known as Rav or Shmuel, who we would like to think of as pretty great, pretty great guys, right? Pretty great rabbis and sages. His merit is so great that they actually 
They don't have to worry, is what Rav says. We don't have to worry that the wall will fall because a wall would never fall on this guy because that's how great he is. So we're safe. We're good. Um, so I want to ask maybe like just before we look to the second story, if I could just get one answer, like one or two answers um, to the question of like how much danger do you think they're really in here? And maybe a second question is like, do you think this is an appropriate use of Arabar Akhva? Yeah, I'm wondering if um, the wall and the dilapidation that they see is more scary and form than substance. Like maybe it's like sort of spooky and eerie and you think maybe something bad would happen, um, even though it's less of maybe like a physical or tangible threat. And I don't know, I'm, I'm curious about like the generational relationship between these different rabbis in the story. If um, some are, if they're all in the same generation or some are older, like it would be interesting if maybe um, Adabar Akhba is sort of a um, comforting character in some way where maybe they feel more secure to walk by something that yeah. would otherwise seem scary. Yeah, that's great. I love that. And I, and I love the, the question of like, is the danger real or is it maybe perception? Um, especially when we think about kids, right? That kids are afraid. My, my daughter won't walk into the living room if the light is off by herself, right? It's like my presence actually doesn't make her safer when I walk with her into the living room. But for her, it changes the fear significantly. Um, one question that I really get when I read this first text is like, who is a person that you feel safer because they're with you, you know, and why is that? So it may be that that's a caretaker, right? Or sometimes even just having another person, right? If I say walk home alone, this is especially for women, obviously, you're going to walk home alone at night or you're going to walk home with me. It's like, I may not be much protection to you, but you'll feel a lot safer. Or maybe I am really protection. Maybe there is really protection from having this other for this other person. It strikes me that Rob's um, statement is is kind of risky. I mean, they've been, he and Shmuel have been so careful for the last 13 years to circumvent that wall, which hasn't fallen once. Yet they have a lot of confidence that they know for sure that the merit of their friend is so great that they don't have to worry. So it seems like diametrically opposed to their practice for 13 years, very cautious. And now it's like, oh, he's here. We're fine. You know, so the whole thing and your question, too, about who makes us feel safe. It's not necessarily a rational calculation. Same thing with Rav. It's just some incohate, visceral, affective feeling that, oh, we're okay now, even if objectively speaking, you may or may not be. Right. So I go back and forth in reading this, right, in in trying to figure out, are they actually safer? (laughs) Because if they are safer, then maybe it's like, no, Rob is right. Like, we actually don't need to go around because Rob is being the rational one who's taking in the information. There's new information. We're safer than we were. We have this guy with us. Now we can now we can go through. Okay, so we're going to read another story. It's another version of the same story but it has a a different feel to it um, and and we'll see how that changes. Okay, so so we'll pick up with Rav Huna. Rav Huna had some wine in a dilapidated house and he wanted to move it. Okay, this house, you know, it's like an abandoned building or something. He has his wine in the basement of the abandoned building. He's got to find a way to get the wine out of the building. So he comes up with a plan, right? What do you do if you need to be safe from a dilapidated building? You bring Rav Adabar Achva there, right? This guy has a real reputation 
your house will not fall down if he is with you. So he brings him there and he drew him out with tradition, i.e. he kept him talking about Torah until all the wine had been removed from the house. So he not only sort of brings him in for the sake of protection, but he's sort of like, uh, you know, instead of saying, hey, could you come and stand here while I get my stuff out of the house? He he has like a pretense of we're going to talk Torah. I'm going to say, oh, I, I have one more question. You know, like I, I needed a follow up question. Please don't leave. And then he keeps him in the house as they're moving the wine out. As soon as they exited the building, collapses. And Rav Adabar Akba realizes what happens and he becomes angry. So how is this story different and why is Rabat of Ahba mad in this case? It seems he's he's justifiably mad here. Um, what justifies his anger? Um, well, I've actually been thinking about the humility of the person who's not Rav Adabarahba. And maybe this applies to both stories. That in the first case, I think that they're they're both saying, you know, we're not as good as this guy. So our merit can't protect us. And even after 13 years, we haven't built up enough merit to protect us from this wall. And here, I think it's a similar thing. You know, um, Ravuna needs something because um, he feels he doesn't have enough on his own. And I'm not sure whether it's really Rav Adabar Achva that he's using or if it's Torah. And I'm not sure which Rav Adabarachva is more mad about. Yeah, that's that is that is a beautiful read, and I also think it's a it's a beautiful way to generously read Rav Huna here, um, because instead of saying you know that Rav Adabarachva could turn around and say, "Hey, you used me, right? Like my merit." Sure, I have merit, but like I'm not a pawn that you just carry around, you know, you know, in a way that like maybe, right, you would say even, oh, do, do you want to go for a walk? And then if you discover that I only invited you to walk, go for a walk because I'm afraid to walk by myself, you might say, well, hey, like I thought you wanted to spend time with me. You know, I thought you wanted to talk to her with me. You're actually just sort of using me as a as a guard. Um, and then there's the second thing that, but, but that's actually a beautiful read of Rav Huna as saying like, oh, maybe, maybe there's actually humility there that he feels that he needs, he needs someone else's merit. He can't rely on his own merit. Um, there's also a legitimate legitimacy for him to be angry, right? Because he nearly averted disaster, right? As soon as he walked out of the building, the building fell down. So he may be saying himself, like, I didn't need this wine. I didn't benefit from spending the afternoon in an abandoned building. That was an unreasonable pretense, right? You told me I was coming to discuss Torah, but actually I was really, you really actually put me in a dangerous place, right? You had me walk on an actual dangerous path because you were afraid, but you didn't tell me that that was a dangerous part of the neighborhood or of the hill, um, that there, there could be something legitimate right here as to why he's so mad. So the text is going to tell us why he's so mad. It says he was angry because that's the parentheses is sort of the we're assuming that's because he holds by what Rav Yanai said, a person should never stand in a place of danger and say, a miracle will be performed for me, lest a miracle not be performed for him. You can't count on miracles, right? The text is telling us miracles are, are unreliable. Um, you, they, they can't, uh, you can't demand a miracle or you shouldn't demand a miracle because 
even if you get what you ask for, at some point you won't, right? It's it's almost an, an image that you, you can see sort of like, I think there's a certain disposition of people who do this, but maybe also like a kind of a teenager disposition of like, I've made this jump six times and I've never gotten hurt. So of course on the seventh time, I'll be fine. To which you might say like, you can't depend on miracles. And the more you get them, which obviously Rav Adabar Achva, he's used to miracles, right? Every, he has a reputation as being used to miracles, but he says he has to be even more careful to not rely on them lest they don't come. And then we go a step further to say that if a miracle will, you know, that, a miracle will be performed for him. Um, they will deduct it from his merits. It's actually, it's not just that miracles are unreliable, but that relying on miracles is actually like a demerit, right? Literally, it takes away some of your good credit that you have in the world, um, however you think of that, that 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 relying on miracles is actually sort of a negative. It's, it's dangerous. And we're going to hang it on. I want to hear thoughts on this. We're going to hang it on this final verse. That is a verse, not from this past week's Parsha, but maybe two weeks ago, I think. Um, Rav Hanan said, what's the verse? Because we always like to land our lessons in a verse from the Torah. As it is written, I have become small from all the miracles and from all the mercies and truth that you have shown your servant. This quote is from Genesis. This is a quote that Jacob says, Katonti Mikol HaChasadim. The translation in context, right, is, is that Jacob is saying, like, I'm unworthy of all the chesed that God has showed to me. And he says this sentence right before he crosses the river with his family to encounter Esav, right? In that story, Jacob is terrified of Esav in this moment in Genesis, he's terrified of Esau, which is kind of funny because God has really taken care of Jacob, right? Every step of the way, you might say, why doesn't Jacob just rely on God? Of course, he's going to be fine. He's Yaakov, right? Like when we're reading the story, we're not so nervous for him, but Jacob is incredibly nervous. And he says this line, like, I'm not worthy of all this facet. And then in saying this, Jacob becomes our model here of someone who doesn't rely on miracles, right? Even though he's had miracle after miracle, sort of God's hand guiding him, at this stage in the game, he's so well off. He says like, I, I didn't do anything to deserve this. I'm still not gonna count on miracles happening. Um, and then we have a play on words a little bit here, the katonti, which is, is a like, I'm not worthy. We're actually reading it as like, you actually get smaller, like relying on miracles, will actually like take away your merit. It takes something away from you. It makes you a little bit, a little bit weaker or, or a little bit lesser. And in, and in that way, I think we really, we sort of enrich this text and we also enrich, um, we enrich the text, that story there by, by putting this text in, in to the story of Genesis. I'm curious, we have about five minutes left. If, if, uh, a million things that we could talk about. I would say for me, reading this text in particular in this moment, this moment of COVID, which is a moment full of like constant risk assessment, 
you know, the story of Rav and Shmuel walking by a wall and in every given moment saying like, it's safe. It's not safe. The wall's never fallen before, but maybe the wall will fall now. You know, like I have Rav Adabar Achma with me is maybe there's an element of like, oh, I have a mask on, so I'm safer. Or I got my booster. I have my booster with me, you know. Um, is Are things different? Should I change my behavior? Should I assess it in the moment? Um, and how much we're sort of just moving through the world with like putting faith in the hands of like, am I counting on a miracle? You know, I don't know. I went to a play last week and I didn't get sick. So maybe I won't get sick this week. Um, I wonder if that context in life feels like it um, changes the way you read the story or changes the way you think about the kind of sort of like everyday miracles that we are calling on, right? To say like, we're going to get married and hopefully, and hopefully we'll be okay. Or we're going to, you know, fly across the country to see family. Um, yeah, Morty. I think this relates to what you were saying. I, I really love the uh, the kind of implication of the verse that miracles kind of stem from chasadim umikol ha'emet, that like, I, I'm small from all of these chasadim and mikol ha'emet, meaning all of these miracles come from chesed and emet. And that it makes me, first of all, it makes me like feel very good that like, yeah, miracles are something that we all perform. And it, and like, it's kind of like, it's it's our way of doing something out of the ordinary. And that's what chesed is. And that's what makes it, ex- that's what a miracle is. It's something extraordinary. And I think, and, and especially right now, just helping people has become so like, and, and even like, for, I'm sure a lot, everyone has a story over the last couple of years where you've had to help someone and it may seem small or it may have been small at a different time, but now it's actually miraculous. Yeah. Yeah. Especially this group. I think Jewish professionals have done a lot of helping. Thank you all. There's so, there's so much more to discuss and to dive into miracles. So thank goodness we have an eight day holiday to celebrate miracles. Our producers for this episode are Sam Greenberg and Jeremy Tabak. Thank you to Nadav Remez for editing this episode with additional editing by David Chabinski. I'm your host, Rabbi Avi Killip. It's been a pleasure to learn with you.